You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. There, just watching um, that video and what you start to say there is, is that the rich Muslims, their God is their wealth. But for all the rich ones, there's a hundred thousand deep poverty ones, you know, and neither one will give up a lot because the rich ones won't give them up because that's where they get their wealth from, and the poor ones won't give them up because the rich ones <laughs> persecute them. And then the last thing he said about prayer, whenever Jesus talks about it, he says, when you fast, implying that you should fast, that you would, that would be a common thing that people would do. And he also says, when you pray, <laughs> implying that it's what you would do. It's what you do. As a believer, it's what you do. So I, um, let me see, I don't have my glasses on, but uh, okay, it's the home crowd. But I, I want to, I'm not going to apologize, but I'm going to tell you that I believe that the message that I have is the message that we were to hear this morning. Um, but I will say that I, some have told me before, you sure talk a lot about salvation there. And, um, and uh, or maybe we t they think we preach on it too much. And so this will be somewhat of a salvation message, but but I think the reason I, I went this direction, I believe the reason God led me in this direction, I will say that way, um, is because of, uh, and we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this, Jed. It's a bad call. Quit doing this. But as you kind of think about who may be there, and so we had a number of people yesterday that were here, and, we, and it was very um, salvation-oriented, the message yesterday was. Both, actually, two of the, the little, well, I guess all three of the guys that gave a little word there at Bob's, Thing. They're, they're very salvation-oriented, those things. And then the message um, during the, the, um, the memorial itself was salvation-oriented. And because um, Jan told me that a number of those people were not saved people or they, they had a, a, maybe a works background or, or they were just living. They weren't like bad people. They just weren't saved people necessarily. So I kind of oriented to that direction. And uh, Jan's like, I think we're all going to come back. And, and um, apparently that's not true. <laughs> but I believe that the message that I have today is a message that God has for us. Last week was the Feast of Day of Atonement. Not really a feast because you're supposed to fast. The fast of the Day of Atonement. But the week prior was the, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year. And so this week begins the Feast of Tabernacles, which is where the, the Jews would build a little hut outside and they would dwell in that hut. And it was a time for them to remember during that week what it was like for the Israelites as they traveled across the the land there. But what I wanted to name the, if I, I don't always, I usually put a name on the message so I can find it again later, but I don't generally tell you guys what it is. But the, the name of this message is, what is the value of a soul? And at Psalm 49, I had, I had um, our English teacher read it to us this morning, Psalm 49, because in Psalm 49, it talks about the value of the soul. In whatever translation you read, you threw me off there because you didn't read out of the Kingus Jameis, but it, it, um, in verse 15, it says, but God will redeem my soul, not my life, but my soul from the power of the grave. He shall receive me. And in the word after that says, Selah. When you see that in the Bible, that Selah, that is like a, that's like a, it's like a, a blowout, like a rest, a meditative rest where you, where you ponder what you just read. So what you just read was, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That's a powerful thing. God alone has the power 
to redeem our soul from the power of the grave. Last week, during the time of prayer before church, we studied that psalm, just slightly read, read over it, me and some that came early to, to, to read the Bible together and, and pray together. In Psalm 49, 7 and 8, it says, None of them, those who trust in wealth and riches, these Katarians, uh, those that trust in wealth and boast in the multitude of riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. What is a soul worth? Verse 15 says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And before I get too deep here, let me tell you this. We should have a great concern for the souls of others. But before that, you should have a tremendous weight upon you for your own soul. Because it's you alone that has the authority over yourself to repent and to give your soul to the power of God and allow him to care for it. So there's a lot of meat in between those verses in Psalm 49. But apparently the soul of man has tremendous value because God, willing to send his son to save our souls from death, and the evil one is willing to go to the fiery pit for eternity. That's what it said there. He who should continue to live, that he, the one who has his soul redeemed, uh, should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. And his said the cave. But the pit is the fiery pit. It's heaven. It's Hades. Or I'm sorry, it's hell. It's Hades. It's, it's the black hole. It's the outer nothingness. It's the outer darkness that the Bible talks about, where the worm never dies, where the soul is in torment, where there's no relief. And I want to be saved from the pit. I, I care about you. But more than I care about you, I care about me. And I don't want to be in the pit for eternity. So this soul of man, it has such great value. It's greater than any man has the ability to purchase. Katarian Bob there walking around with his riches driving his Bentley is going to die. And no amount of money that he could throw around and live big or whatever will be able to purchase his freedom from eternity. He's got to make the got to make the transaction this side of death. Um, but only God Most High has what it takes to redeem the soul. Satan owns it. He's he's got the inside track. He's got the the right to it because we die. We're born dead in our trespasses and sin. Satan has control. But it's it's kind of like the coupon. You know the coupon that says redeem for X amount? Redeem back when people... Anybody cut coupons anymore? Well, they used to have these things, children, called coupons. And you get a newspaper and it had a little thing and then you cut it out and you could get toilet paper half off with the coupon or beans or corn or whatever. And on the bottom, you could only redeem it at the store. You could only redeem it at... We had Safeway. Uh, Save-a-lot. You could only redeem it at Save-a-lot. You could only redeem it at Kroger's. You could only redeem it at Walmart. Couldn't take the bean coupon from Save-A-Lot and take it to Kroger's. So what it means is, is that the company that had the coupon, they owned the product and they owned the coupon. In order to get the product, you had to take the coupon back to the company that already owned it. So the Lord, the creator of all things, owns it all. But you're outside when you're dead in trespasses and sin, Satan has control of you. You must be redeemed by the one who owns you already. 
And you've got you to gotta go directly to the one that owns you already and be redeemed. You have to be purchased back by the one who already owns you rather than give yourself over to the control of the prince of power of the air, the one that's here. I made that clear as mud, I'm sure. So the value of a man's soul, much greater than any other man can purchase, any of those guys, and I'm telling you, I've been to Saudi Arabia, I've been to Kuwait, I've been to Bahrain. It's hot like fire. And them jokers wearing them long suits and all that jazz, it is hot. And, um, and they looked very cool in those, but I promise you, it is roasting. Um, uh, and they can have great wealth, and they can have air conditioning in their car, but they don't have Bill Gates, old Berkshire Hathaway guy, what's his name? I never can remember his name. Warren Buffett, the wealth of those guys does not have anything close to what they need. Even all those guys combined, the GDP of the U.S., the GDP of the world does not have what it takes to redeem a single soul. Only God, God most high. Yesterday was the beginning of, uh, like I said, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's the picture of God dwelling with men. And we'll see at the end that it's, he's preparing a place now better than the one we have now, and, um, but he's particularly wanting to dwell with those that want to dwell with him, right? He wants to be with those that want to be with him. He could dwell anywhere he wants to. And if you recall, we've talked about this before, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but in the Old Testament you can see there, in, in, um, especially when he's given the rules in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the second given of the rules, first is to the Levitical priesthood, but then he tightens it up for all the rest of us there in Deuteronomy, and he says, I want you, this is gross, but I'm going to tell you anyway, I want you to go to the bathroom outside the camp. I don't want you to relieve yourself in any way inside the camp. You go outside the camp because I walk inside the camp and I don't want your filth on me. I'm a high, righteous, and holy God and I don't want your, it's, what, it's not what goes into the man that defiles the man, it's what comes out of the man that defiles the man. Jesus said, I don't want your defilement on me do it outside the camp and then so if you recall maybe you don't but if you saw the tribes and you had the the tabernacle was in the middle it's in the middle <laughs> and it was basically a cross shape where the tribes were on the four sides of the tabernacle so to go outside the camp so the tabernacle god's presence in the middle then the tribes above and beside and to go outside of your tribal area to go to the bathroom to deal with sickness to deal with women's times. It all had to happen outside of the camp because his holiness, his presence was inside the camp. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with those who want to dwell with me, but you got to dwell like I dwell. You don't get to dwell like you want to dwell. You have to dwell like I'm telling you to dwell, and then we can dwell together in peace. If you try to dwell in the way that you want to, well, then we can't dwell together. I can't be here because I'm not going to get your filth, the part of you that defiles, that is defiled because you're born dead, you stink. I can't get that on me. He's purely righteous, purely holy. But he chooses primarily to be with those who desire to be with him. So just as you have a number of people that you enjoy being with, we had a, good, a big time yesterday. It was kind of interesting since Jan's not here, I'll tell you. Um, her brother, she hadn't seen him in 20 years. Talked to him rarely on the phone. She said, I don't know if I should call him. 
when, when Bob passed away. 20 years. So we can have, they can be family, but that don't mean we want to live by them, right? That's why we have the state of Ohio. That's far enough from here. We know they're there. We could call them if we needed them, and they could be here in like eight hours. But it's better if they just stay in Ohio. That's why they got that state. I don't know. You ever been to Ohio? That's why, that's why they made that. There you go. You left, didn't you, brother? And one guy back there, he's like, oh, I was in Ohio. Yeah, there's a reason you left, because it's Ohio. That's where we leave the people we don't want. No, it's about the presence, about being with the people, God's dwelling, and having the people dwell with him that he wants to dwell with. And I wrote a number of scriptures down about that. The Lord is close to those who desire his closeness, and he's far from those who desire nothing to do with them. He's like that in time. And he'll be like that in eternity. And we think about hell sometimes. I really, I don't want to get into that too deeply because I don't want to confuse anybody, including myself. But I think about hell. I'm like, how can God put some, I mean, you goofed up here and you end up in hell forever because you missed the call or you missed the chance or whatever. Surely you would get there and you'd be like, oh, man, I missed my chance. And God's like, well, no, you had your chance. Too bad. Too bad for you. But the people that are in hell, they don't want to be with God. They're right where they want to be. The Great Divorce by oh, uh, C.S. Lewis. You read that, and those people, that, I mean, that was his vision and version and whatever, but they, were, they didn't want to be close. They, didn't, they wanted to be angry. They wanted to be in the outer dark. They wanted to move further and further and further away from the presence of God. And that's how it is. But for those that desire God, he makes a way for them to get close. Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the enemy, the anger, the hatred, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He took the old man, he took the fleshly man, he died for that man, so that that man could be a spiritual man and be joined to him. He tore down the curtain, Matthew 27, 51 and 52. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What's the veil on? It's in the temple. What's in the temple? The temple's got an outer, an inner, and an inner inner. And it's the inner inner, the part that nobody can go in except for the high priest once a year. And then maybe he gets a vision, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he hears a word, maybe he doesn't. But no man has access to the inner inner except for the high priest and him only once a year. In 27, 51, and 52, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The graves were open. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Matthew 1, 23, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. If you want to be near, he makes a way for you to be near. He tore the veil. This veil was about 12 inches thick, they say, very heavy, very thick. Um, it was... Like, and you've heard about the bells jingling on the bottom of the priest's robe or whatever. And if the jingling stopped, they tied a rope on him so that they could pull him out. And they're not sure if that's 100% true or false. But the reality is what went inside, went on inside this veil, a big heavy curtain, 
12 inches thick, you're not hearing it outside the curtain. So whatever the priest receives in there, we just pray that the priest comes out and tell us the truth and not something that wasn't true or, or his take on what was sold in there because we can't hear it. It was inside. It was inside the curtain. It was quiet. So it's the greatest of miracles to me to see a walking dead zombie type person, a person that was born dead in their trespasses and sin, to see that person be made alive in Christ Jesus and have his soul redeemed and, um, and become a light-filled believer rather than walking in darkness. Now he's alive. And as I grow alongside with you, I really keep coming to a better and better understanding of what it means to be made alive in Christ. I mean, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago, or whatever, however old I was when I was saved, I was a little kid. All I knew was I was freer, I felt freer than I ever felt. And I think I got a spanking, I think I told you this, because when I came home, I was telling mom and dad about it, running around in the house, tearing up Job, and I think it was a beatdown after that. So I didn't live long, I got half killed at the house, but I knew that I was free. I don't know why I knew I was free, but I was free. And, when I, and, I, and I saw that God had made me a new person, he made me alive where I was dead. I didn't even know I was dead, but he made me alive. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world. When I walked like everybody else in the world, I'm walking as a dead man. And I've told you before that, that idea of the, the zombie movies, you know, and these people, they're walking around, they're eating brains or whatever they eat. They're, they're doing stuff, you know, tripping over stuff, breaking into jails. I never have watched that Walking Dead show. I just got the, I know what the premise is. But I, I got the idea. We, we, we had zombie movies when I was a kid, you know. They always ate brains. I, I don't know. I guess that's what they live on. But, um, but somehow, you know, you shoot them with a the silver bullet or you do something and they become alive. It, most of the people that you see walking around out there, the reason the decisions that governmental people make or Joe Blow makes and they're so crazy is they're dead. And dead people don't think right. And they need to be made alive. And you need to demonstrate to them and tell them what it means to be made alive. And we saw in First Peter at, at the rescue mission um, what a live person looks like versus a dead person. A dead person lives one completely different way. In this way in the world which you once walked, you walked just like them. You did the same things. You looked at the same things. You ate the same things. You went to the same places. You treated your body the same way. You drank the same things. You smoked the same things. You existed in fornication in the same ways. You filled your minds with things of earthly things in the same way. You read things that you shouldn't read. You acted in the same way. You walked in the same way. You who were once dead, a zombie, he made alive by imputing into you the righteousness of Christ when you accepted Christ as your Savior and it's a miracle. He took a dead thing and made it alive. He took Adam and he formed the man from the dust of the soil and he made the shape like you'd make a sandcastle out there in the shape of a man. You see him make those mermaids on the beach. And then he breathed into his mouth the breath of life and man became a living being. He took dirt and made you. But since Adam in the fall, um, when you were born, it says... According uh, you, which once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We acted the same way. We walked as dead people. 
So to backtrack, to tell you all this, how much is the value of a soul, um, we had three feasts real close together. The first was Rosh Hashanah. That was the wake-up call. That was the Feast of Trumpets. It was the nine blasts of the trumpet that signals alarm and things are fixing to go bad. You need to wake up. Come to the wall because the enemy's at the gate and the enemy is death. And then it was the Day of Atonement, the next thing. And in that chance, the enemy is death and he's pursuing you. He rides the pale green horse and he's running you down and you're running in front of him. And your only hope is this lamb. The lamb that takes away, the behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Is this goat, you put your hands on his head and they cast him out into the wilderness. And one thing that's kind of funny is the goat was supposed to take the sins away into the desert and they would usually send a young man with them. And the game was, don't let that goat come back. So they would lead the goat over to a cliff and be like, and it's, there's no way, to let, you know, he's supposed to be the scapegoat and get away. He ain't coming back. You make sure he breaks a leg, breaks his neck, but do not let that goat come back. Because if he comes back, the picture is your sins have returned upon you. So take the goat to the wilderness, off the cliff, and everything's good, right? So the first thing's the Feast of Trumpets, the warning. The next, the Day of Atonement, our recognition of our need to be freed from sin, to put our hands on the Lamb, to, to, to just dump out everything that we were, including our presumptuous sins and our involuntary sins and just the fact that we exist every day. And now the, the lost person has been warned, wake up, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he has two responses. His first response is, no, God. The fool in his heart says, no, God. He doesn't say there is no God. He says, no, God. He knows there's a God. He says, well, I'm a pretty good person. No, you know, you're not. The fool in his heart lies to himself. And he tells them that I'm a pretty good person. But it says, if you have fellowship with him and, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, First John 1, 5 and 6. And verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But First John 1, 9, right after First John 1, 8, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Put your hands on the head of the goat and send it off. Put your spirit in the hand of the lamb that was sacrificed before the beginning of the world. Put your hope in him and you're going to be fine. And that allows you to come to the third feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So the first is the warning. You've been warned. The second is the repentance. I pray you've repented. And the third is being suitable to um, dwell with God forever in the Feast of Tabernacles. Whether you agree with God's redemptive plan or not, it really, it's not up to you. He's the Father. It's completely irrelevant what you think. The Creator of all things said, the only sacrifice I'll accept is a completely innocent one of my own choosing. And I choose my Son in whom I'm well pleased and in the, it's the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, and I'll place all my wrath, rather than on you, on Him. And you can accept Him, as many as received Him, to these He gave the right to be called children of God. To receive Him is to be called a child of God. And now you have access to the tabernacle. Not just the outer court. The outer court on the tabernacle was huge. It was the court of the women and the Gentiles. So you could, you could come in there as a uh, just a Gentile, just a, a nobody. But to get into the inner, and then to get into the inner inner, you got to be invited in there. you got to be of the high priesthood. And he says, now we can be of the royal priesthood and we can go into the inner inner. 
So he places all his wrath on Christ so that you can go into the inner inner. You know, we really struggle to understand the power of the Father because our culture has so demeaned the power of the Father figure in the home. Um, and I can't testify for all of you, but say people 50 years up and uh, old and up. But whatever Dad said, that is what we did. He did not handle the sword in vain. And so, or in this case, oh, Pastor Elise calls it the hot chocolate. He did not handle the hot chocolate in vain, the belt. You know, if he said, get in the car, you got in the car. And he said, we're going to town. You went to town. And he said, stay in the car. And you stayed in the car with the windows rolled up. And, <laughs> and then he said, we're going to go get, a, which would have been a miracle, but we're going to go get a hamburger. We used to have an A&W root beer there in Oregon there for a time. And we go get it once in a blue moon. We got to go there because we were pretty, pretty low down and dirty in them days. We didn't have a lot of money. And so we go to A&W root beer and he said, I, we go to restaurants now, and he's like, what do you want, honey? I want a chicken strip. No, no, I want a... Dad's like, you're having a hamburger full, and you get a little tiny root beer. It was like this big. I mean, it was like four ounces of root beer, and that was it. There was no refills. And that's what he said, and that's what you did. And you know what? You were happy because he wasn't beating you. No, you were happy because you were being obedient, and he was leading you, and he was leading his wife, and he gave... However, the authority structure of the home was, different homes had different authority structures, and the wife did her part, and the man did his part, and there was a, there was a better home, and people understood authority. And now, these days, they've demeaned the father element in the home through television and TV shows and internet and just jokes and whatever, and the dad's a big dummy, and you can't really follow him. Kids are probably smarter than everybody, and then the mom, she's, she's smarter than most, and, and you know, whatever. And so we've lost the view. God put these roles in the family so that we could identify him as the father. When we see him do things that are fatherly, when we see the father in the mediator, the mother, you know, we can see that picture of the family of God, you know. We see the obedience of the children honoring their father and the mother and the Lord for this is right. We see that big picture. We got a different view, a better view of God. We get a distorted view of God in this culture. We have to be taught and trained to recognize the father he tells us this is the plan follow my plan seek the lord while he can still be found seek the lord with your whole heart and he will redeem you he already owns you you just take the coupon and then he'll give you full credit for it you're the coupon by the way in that picture so what's the price of a soul then well what's the value of your life to you I read a, it was very sad. This girl was 23, I believe she's 23, and she was in a, a, a terrorist bombing um, when she was a high school student in Brussels, and it killed 100 and some odd people. And, um, and she, from there on, had all kinds of psychological problems, went to her parents, and they took her to a psychologist. They put her on all these uh, pills to help her with her mentality and her psychosis and so on. Until she was 23 and she begged their government to kill her and so through assisted suicide they took her life I'm, and I'm thinking did no one take the time was there not a single Christian and there's not a lot there was there not a single Christian who would come to her and say your life is very valuable your soul is very valuable when you get to the point that you're ready to kill yourself, man, come talk to us, please. Don't, don't do it. Your soul has great value. 
It's not yours to take from yourself. You're here until God takes your life. Don't give it to the evil one. It's very valuable. It was so tragic to read that. And I'm telling you, a lot of people are like, well, you know, uh, you know, you're sitting here, it's all nice and heated and air-conditioned. And you're like, oh, man, my life is, you know, I've not done that much important, whatever. Um, but I promise you, if I just took you to the roof of this building and had you by the ankle holding you over the side, all of a sudden your value of your life would be incredibly high for you. If I took you up in a plane with no parachute and held you out the door, if I held a gun to your head and you knew it was loaded and I knew it was loaded and I was angry and you were scared, I promise you, your life would mean so much to you in that moment. And all of a sudden you would recognize the value of your life. God sees it at a much higher value than that. And we need to see our life as highly valuable. Oh, to fully understand the love of God towards mankind. A love that would send a replacement for us. You say, well, I, I don't need somebody to die for me. I never asked God to die for me. Well, dummy, it ain't on you. He created you. He's the potter. You're the clay. He tells you what to do. You don't tell him what to do. He tells you what's right for you in his word. But we've got to do the confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That cost of the soul is so much more than anyone could pay. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy. I really like that song, But God. I'm not even sure who... I'm not sure who sings that, but it's called But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, rich in mercy, he sees the value of you that you don't even see in yourself. He sees, um, I will say that for me, I really struggled with, this is a, this is a, I don't know, I don't, it's not a secret, but I really did not understand love. I came from a very unloving family. It was very, very rough. And then I went directly from there into the Marine Corps, which is not, in general, training people to love one another. And then I went from there through bad decisions and a, a bad attitude, and I got out, and I really struggled with love, loving, and being loved, and being cared for. And, and believe it or not, you can, you can deal with that um, people's opinions of you and, and their um, assaults on your person and take it as a shot against their love for you, right? And it wasn't until I had kids that for the first time, truly, and I'm not trying to harm Renette in this, I think I've told her this before, but I know I have, but I, is where I really understood like true love, like true, true love for some, I'm mean, like, especially when Dan uh, was born and, and, and he was hanging on by a thread there for a couple weeks. He had a collapsed lung. We went to women and children. And I was at the uh, motel at the time, and they called us, and they're like, oh, they're going to take him to the hospital down there. And the one lady said, you know, white boys, they don't, they don't fight uh, to live, and, and this may be it, you know. And, and I'd never, I don't know, did, did we get to hold him? I don't remember if we got to hold him or not, but I don't think we ever touched him. This little rubbery pink blob, and I cried like a baby. And I was like, why am I crying? I never touched him. I don't know. He has no personality. He's just a pink blob. But I had a love that I did not understand until then. I never understood love until I had him. And then he was going to be taken. I was like, man, 
about to cry right now. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved me, he loved us more than I ever loved Daniel. Your children, you parents, you know, can hurt you worse than any other person on earth. I mean, getting divorced is very painful. I've seen that. I've watched people walk through that. Losing a spouse, yes. But your children, it's a part of your flesh, and when they injure you, they can hurt you more deeply than anyone, because they know you, and that's your flesh. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, it's your flesh. And when they injure you, it's so deep. When we go against the God who created us, we can injure him worse than any other th than any other thing that he's done. He made us in his image, and he loves us with an everlasting love, it says. But God, rich in mercy, who loved us, when you were the nastiest, low-down, dirtiest dog, sinner, trespassing, filthy, wretched, nothing, and he loved you. Like Dan in the hospital. You didn't even know yourself. And he loved you, and he took you, he cared for you. Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. It's very costly, the, the cost of a kid. Anybody had kids, you know? Uh, years ago they said it was like 250000 to raise a kid from 0 to 18. And the cost doesn't end there because that's when they go to college. So then it goes, what? It really goes, all right. What about you as a believer? What's the cost? To see you, to see you ransomed from death? stolen from the hands of the evil one and then watched you go up and down on this emotional, spiritual roller coaster of loserness that we do where we're with God and then we're against God and we're backslidden and then we, we come back and then we leave and then we come back. And he's like, he just keeps pulling that wallet out, putting the money down, putting the money down. There's no money that's, that's too costly for your soul in, in, view of, in God's view of you. Go to Revelations there. It's 21. God has the wealth, he has the wisdom, and he has the want, the desire to redeem you. And like I told you, in that word redeem, it is he owns you already, but he wants to purchase you back. But poor old Gomer, she got a terrible name and she was a prostitute, right? Maybe the name was what caused her to be a prostitute, I don't know. But he said, I want you to treat Gomer like a virgin. And so Hosea goes and he purchases Gomer back, this low-down, dirty dog. Two of his kids aren't even his. And he goes and he gets her and he brings her back and he treats her like a virgin. He treats her like she was beautiful and lovable and he pays the full amount for her, whatever it costs. In fact, God pays more than we're worth in order that you can dwell with him. And it's incredible what he's done on our behalf. To redeem us is not enough. He actually wants to dwell with us. Revelation 21, that's a... It talks about the new heaven and the earth, new earth, right? Coming down. Let's just read 1 through 7 there. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there is no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for heaven. This thing is shining. It is perfect, and it's perfectly clean. There's no sin in it. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, 
The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You got a choice. You got the second part there. Doesn't sound that great. I could be wrong. But it says... They have their part, cowardly, unbelievable, unbelieving, abominable, murder, so on. And they have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. But you, but you, whose soul was so valuable that he put his son on the cross for you in his place, you, he who overcomes, and you stand up to persecution, and you profess the word, and you continue steadfastly in the word, and you continue to pick up your cross daily and follow him, and you seek him with your whole heart, and you read the word, and you're fasting, and you're praying, and you're seeking the lost. But you, he who overcomes, shall inherit all things. To him that accepts the Son, he gives you the right to be called children of God. If you've got the inheritance, you get it all. You get the big house, you got the nice car, you get it all. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he'll dwell with them. What's it going to take to dwell with God? It's going to take perfection on your part there can be no defilement upon you the only problem is you're you and i'm me and you know what you are and you're filthy but christ but god who is rich in mercy who loved you while you were still dead in your trespasses sin that god will allow you to dwell with him if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you'll be saved and you'll be able to dwell with him in eternity we tend to cling to what we can grasp with our hands. It's called tangible things in time that we can see. And we struggle to understand what it means to be face-to-face -face with this God who loves us, who's willing to send his son to die for us, because we've never seen him. We never, I mean, we, we've seen people that have a spirit upon them that seems very godly. We've heard messages about God. Um, the Bible says no one can see God and live, so if you're seeing God, you ain't alive. You're dead. You're with him in spirit. So it's hard for us to grasp the love, the kind of love that we're talking about. The best I can describe is like the love I have for my son. It's really hard to describe, um, but it's no less true. And he says, I go to be... Uh, um, I go to prepare a place for you. If it's not true, I wouldn't have told you this. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's a lot of space for anyone that would receive Christ. The Creator God made the first heaven and earth, and it was tarnished by men and by the evil one. And he's making a new and better one, a new heaven and a new earth, because this earth will pass away. So, Katarian man here, clinging to the things of the earth, or you, cling to the things that you think are so important in earth it, are making a fool's bet because this earth is nothing and it's going to pass away you've got to be connected to the presence of god you got to keep the defilement outside the camp 
you got to get close to his presence. You got to be, it's open. The veil's been torn. You just got to go in. You can go all the way in to the holiest of holies. You can go all the way there. Come boldly to the throne of grace. You can come all the way. This is the throne of grace. And you're at the back door. You don't have to stand there. We have the fellowships, you know, a lot of times with the Hispanics. I always give them a hard time because I want to sit back there in the very far last three rows. I'm like, come on up, boys. The water is fine. <laughs> come on up. No, no, we'll sit here. I'm like, well, we might as well open the back door and sit outside. If you're going to sit that far, come all the way up to the throne of grace. All the way. You can come into the Holy of Holies. You don't realize what a blessing it is and what a, what a great thing. And I, I want you to, as best as I can tell you, that's the best I could do, was to explain to you the love of God that he has for you and for your soul. And the picture is, is that he makes a special place for us to dwell with him, both now and in eternity. And I hope you can catch that today. Can we put the last verse of that, uh, that song that we sang, Grace is Greater Than All Our Sins? Just the very last verse, if you pick that up. Oh, there's no way back there. It's really short. What I want to do as we get that song ready to go, and I just want you to see it, and I think we can, let's pray first, and then we'll stand together and sing just that last verse. Um, but it said, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is pardoned and sin within, right? Pardoned and cleansed within. Grace, grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Because of God's grace, he makes a way that we can accept Christ and be with him in this tabernacle in eternity. If you're here today and you don't have Christ or you've not, if I didn't explain it well, come tell me and I'll explain it a different way. I got a whole bunch, I'm like the Leatherman tool, man. I got all kinds of ways I can explain it to you. I got the tool if you'll come, but your heart's got to be soft. I know this is relating to a church, but that one scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door and let me, I'd come in and sup with you. I would come in and dwell with you. He's talking about a church and being removed from a church. But it, it goes so well with our heart as well. If your heart is soft towards the things of God, he will come in and he will indwell you with his Holy Spirit. If your heart is hard now, your heart will be hard in eternity as well and you'll have no desire to be with him. It is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. We're all going to be standing there before God. And in that day, you're going to have to have the answer. Why should I let you into my heaven? And it'll be because I accepted Christ at this point. I recognized I couldn't save myself. So I wanted to tell you that. I want you just to give, have a moment of prayer. And um, if you can find that on YouTube, you could, you could play it as a song or we can sing it together, whichever you want to do. Let's have a prayer first. And, and uh, he's got it on there. Um, um, Let's pray together. While we're praying, let's just let's stand together. I was listening to uh, listen to a couple preachers this morning. Neither one of them mentioned the, the Feast of Tabernacles, but one guy talked about a man that was on a tightrope, and they asked him about. He went between the twin towers when they first built the twin towers at like the eighty something floor on the twin towers back in the day. Some French guy, and uh, and they asked him later, like, what was the hardest part about getting on the wire to walk across between the twin towers? He said, taking the first step from the building onto the wire, where he had one on the building and one on the wire. And many people, and coming to this altar is not going to save you, I'm telling you that. But stepping out in faith and coming and telling somebody that you need to be saved, rather than leaving here and thinking about dealing with it later, it could cause your death. 
So let's pray together. Just as we meditate first for a moment, I just want you to close your eyes there. If you're here today without Christ, if you want to be saved, if you don't know what it means to be saved, but you know that you need it, today can be the day. Just come. I'll be glad to speak to you. Father, this morning we're, we're thinking about how, how good you are to us and how much you loved us. And um, we know that we haven't loved you like you've loved us. Because if we had, we wouldn't have acted the way that we act. And so right now in repentance, Lord, I pray for these that are here that, that um, may be struggling to find the words to say that we're sorry, Lord. And we are so grateful for your death of your son that you, you provided for us in our place. For the, for the nails that we drove into his hand by our continued evil actions and evil thoughts and, and evil words, Lord, I pray for your mercy and I'm grateful that you forgive us for all transgressions. Lord, for our thoughts uh, against others that have, have caused us to break the Ten Commandments, Lord, we, we ask for your mercy in that as well. Lord, we ask that your presence would be here with us together and that you would not remove your lampstand from us lord if you're standing at the door and knocking lord i pray that we would be wise enough to open the door and allow you in thank you for your goodness lord and your care for us thank you for this place and these that have come lord and uh, be with us as we break bread together later that our that our conversations would be wise and holy in jesus name amen can we see the, the one before that one, brother? All right. We're going to try it together. Are we ready? <coughs> me, me, me. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace Freely bestowed on all who believe You that are longing to see His face Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I pray you make this your prayer, who you are, and recognize how good God is to you today, okay? All right, God bless you all.